Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two, two O's. See? We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. Can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message that brings your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome once again to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee if you listen, you can hear stuff. This week in episode 454. 454 of these. It's ridiculous. Um, We're going to meet an old friend. uh, But it's an old friend you may not have known was an old friend. So we're going to see how that works out. We're going to still in pandemic show mode uh, because of the need for social distancing and the intertubes being clogged the way they are. And everybody in the world needs to talk to their grandmother on Skype. And every it's just friggin' ridiculous and difficult to get a solid signal on the web. So we're using a paired backcast once again and hoping for the best or whatever. And at some point, Captain Cam will get used to my taunts and then he will have to be removed as well. So in the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, it's just Captain Cam who uh, is with us tonight has spent the day in a car um, doing doing weird stuff, looking for toys uh, because Captain Cam is an avid toy collector and has not been able to go to a single uh, uh, convention or toy event this entire summer, which is rapidly coming to an end. So he went out searching for toys today. Uh, so uh, what did you find? Well, let's see. I found the My Little Pony that I've been looking for age for ages. It's a classic one called Sprinkles. Really? Did you really? Yeah. I went there. Well, I could have talked about the pound puppy I found right in the, on the same shelf. <laughs> and I'm not making that one up, either one of those. <sighs> and this is the part that concerns me about you from the very beginning. Yeah. And continues to. And not not that it bothers me that I have my Barbie collection uh, of superheroes, uh, which which include Harley Quinn. Yes, I have a Harley Quinn Barbie that is staring at me right now. And and I'm proud of it. I'm very proud of it. More proud of the fact that it was given to me by my, my very own daughter. But, you know. That's how life is in, in the big city here in Area 51. Um, tonight, uh, we get to have some fun. Uh, through a mutual friend, uh, we were introduced to this wonderful lady who also has a podcast, but it was a video podcast. And we weren't told that it was a video podcast till after we were uh, 
we we said, yeah, we'll do it. And then we were told, oh, by the way, it's video. And then I kind of went, ah, crap. Because I have a face for video. Uh, I have a face for uh, radio, I mean. And uh, so we went on and, and did this thing called Writer's Showcase, uh, hosted by the wonderful and very talented Christy Stratos. Christy, hey, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I don't know why, because we've already been on your show and we wreaked <laughs> havoc for half an hour plus. I had a great uh, time. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. I mean, I have no idea what your what your listeners and watchers thought, but yeah, we certainly had fun because, much like us, you you seem to run the whole well, whatever happens happens rule kind of thing going on. Uh, so. So, yeah, we, we just kind of turned the cameras on and talked for more than half an hour. Yeah, and it was it was a great time. That's one of the things I really like to do with that show is to let things go the way that they naturally had. So I don't, you know, much like you guys, I don't have just like a set amount of questions or like the same questions every time or something like that. That's definitely not the way I do my show. And I know it's not the way you do yours. So, you know, I always research people <laughs> ahead of time and, um, and try to find some things that maybe have not been spoken about before. Um, with with you guys, I didn't have to do much of anything. I really just sat back and had a great time, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I made that joke to Dome. I said, I think, Dome, you talk 50% of the time. I talk 30% of the time, and Christy got the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really the best, because it's about the guests. I always like for it to really be the focus on the guests, and not so much me. I don't want to do so much talking. So <laughs> it was ideal. It was really funny, because I always come up with um, things I might want to talk about ahead of time, and I have sort of a list of, of topics um, that I put together for each individual show, so it's different every time. And so I had this <laughs> list ready for you guys but i didn't need it and i don't even think i used more than one question off of it i would kind of die to know what some of those questions were because <laughs> I mean, they had to be hilariously re just had to be ridiculous like you know where do you get your guests you know that kind of stuff <laughs> It was, I definitely remember having something about the amazing amount of variety because as I was scrolling through the different, um, you know, categories of people that you have on, I was so impressed. Like there's, and some of them, of course, you know, the show has been on for a long time. So there's all kinds of stuff that has been done in the past with like, you know, different kinds of companies and artists and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I don't know. Um, it, I, I didn't know whether you still do companies, for example, or anything like that. But I just was looking through the the category list, and I was like, "Wow, there is really nothing that holds these guys back." It's it's really just everyone, you know, almost everyone that can come on this show and have a great time, which I think is a lot of fun. Well, it's it's we're one of those kind of undefinables, which is probably why we have such a great Q rating. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, that, that was a joke, by the way. Uh, <laughs> for anybody listening out there, that was an absolute joke. Uh, Cat Rambo would be proud of me for slipping that Easter egg in. Uh, but uh, we've just... What we find is that when we find cool stuff, we'd like other people to be exposed to it. 
and and that's <clears throat> through a middleman is how it usually happens. Somebody finds something and they've been on the show. And well, for example, um, one of one of our friends of the show who's been on the show, uh, one of the very, very first one of our five timers in the five timers club um, was he's a cartoonist. He's an artist. He's a musician. He plays death metal mm. and, and he plays great death metal, but he's also a, a, a filmmaker. Uh, and one of his films was accepted at the Philip K. Dick Film Festival. Mm. So when he went down to the festival for the showing, he spoke to the guy who owns it and says, you know, there's this podcast that I've been on a couple of times. So the next thing we know, we're getting a call from them. And the wow. next thing, yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's that kind of, you know, avalanche running downhill. And the next thing I know, we're getting calls from other people who have been at the festival, you know, who've had their movies at the festival. Uh, in fact, we have one coming on in a couple of weeks, don't we, Cam? Yep. Well, actually, I don't know if she's been at the festival yet. But uh, there's a potential. So, yep. Oh, yes, we have. I mean, so, you know, it's that kind of thing where it just kind of rolls and rolls and rolls and, and something. Uh, and then, you know, it's so do you never know? It it comes out of left field where we're we're at a convention and we're in a, a the dark corner of a convention. Mm-hmm. And there's the, the truly the dark corner of the convention, <laughs> uh, where they keep people, uh, where they keep the B-list celebrities, and there's nobody hanging around this guy. And one of the pe- one one of my crew grabs me and goes, "You know who that is?" And this was like right after the. F- first Hellboy had just come out and I said no who is that and she went that's Doug Jones mm. and I went okay <laughs> she goes Abe Sapien and I went oh okay <laughs> and there's like and he's literally shoved in this corner of this huge convention hall with nobody around him. And we sat and we talked to Doug Jones for close to half an hour. It's ridiculous. That is great. And he's been on the show a dozen times since then. And wow. he's brought people he's done books with, brought done movies with. And, and, and now, of course, he's a big star on Star Trek and, and can't get hold of him anymore. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he's so, a busy man right now yeah I'm busy hugely busy man but so how did you get started doing a podcast well you know this podcast writer showcase is my most recent one so this one's been around for about two years 
And um, we're on Facebook. That's where we do our live ones, where you are so excited to be on camera. I know. So um, we do. Scared the crap out of me, lady. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, are you sure? Because I haven't worn a tie since the 1980s. And I was like, no, I'm sure. (laughs) 1970s, but who's lying? 1970s, okay. (laughs) I was close. Um, So (laughs) we do uh, live streaming on Facebook. And... um, you know, we, we interview authors. It's really all authors. Every once in a while, we'll have um, some different people on there and we'll have a panel. For example, it might not be an author, but a blogger or someone who works for a magazine or something along those lines so that it's still all dedicated to helping authors and understanding, you know, the writing, the writing process and anything having to do with writing, really. It could be anything having to do with writing. So we do do some panels. And the great thing about that show that I really enjoy is because it's live, people can ask questions if they want. And, you know, sometimes people just want to listen. And, uh, you know, they'll come live just to hear what an author has to say or a panel has to say. But sometimes we get lots of comments and questions for the author. Um, and they answer them in real time, which I always think is a lot of fun. So, um, you know, those are also on SoundCloud and YouTube, but really, if you want the most up-to-date, it's on Facebook, and you can just look up Writer Showcase Podcasts. So we're currently, um, probably when this airs, we'll still be on hiatus until January 2021, and then we'll be back, and we'll have um, some new guests and some return. We always have kind of a mix of both. Um, and actually, I don't know if you guys knew this, um, but before I did Writer Showcase, which is on the Authors on the Air Global Radio um, station, uh, it's actually, I'm the host, but it's owned by Mickey Mickelson, who is Creative Edge Publicity. Um, for authors. So before I did that, I was um, doing my own podcast on YouTube, which was called The Writer's Edge. Um, And it's one that has been like passed down to me, actually. It was one that uh, was started by a fantasy author. Um, His name is Joshua Robertson. He writes great dark fantasy. And um, he had decided that he was no longer going to do it and asked me if I wanted to. I had been a guest on there a few times. I had hosted um, a show, like guest hosted a show for another place called Go and D Now. And um, so Josh asked if I wanted to take over his, you know, podcast. That's actually how I started podcasting. So I took over the Writer's Edge and I was doing that. and It was great, but it was very time consuming um, because I was getting the guests myself and I was doing like everything myself with no team at all, no help. So, you know, while that can be great for some people, I also had a corporate job that was eating my entire life up. <laughs> so it was really yeah, tough. Those jobs. It was tough. You know, I had, um, yeah, one of those. I had a corporate job that was just like 24-7, very, very stressful, high pressure. And then I also had my own editing business, which is what I currently do full time. And I was writing books and I had the podcast. So you guys can see how it became really difficult to fit in finding guests that I I wanted to put together my own panels. They were all live shows, but they were um, panels always, not, not so much one-on-one unless it was someone I happened to know. Um, so it was all panels. And I was going and trying to finding find people who would suit um, the topic. So, you know, for Valentine's Day, for example, I would do like a romance one, but I would go on Amazon and try to find highly rated authors that had a, a number of books out so I could bring a bunch of them together and try to get their expertise. And they would all have very different opinions, which I thought was really cool. But it was also so much time to take to try and find them and contact them and 
there's a certain percentage saying yes and a certain percentage that aren't available for the date. So you guys can see how, you know, it took a lot of time. So I ended up having to stop that one um, at some point just for lack of time. And so I was really excited when um, Mickey Mickelson came along and asked me if I would host Writer's Showcase podcast. So now he finds the guests and I can do the rest, which is a huge relief. Uh, I which, really, which I was my it. next question was, how does that work now? Do you, are you just now in the chair and, and people come to you every week and how, how much nicer is that? It's very helpful. I have to say um, the finding people was tricky because I was, I have a perfectionist tendency, which can be rather painful at times, to be honest, it's, it can be really difficult. Um, sometimes that's great. Like when you're editing, you know, that's a great quality in an editor, but it's really difficult in other circumstances. So, you know, um, I would be looking for like the perfect guests, which would take me hours. <laughs> so that's, that's not ideal. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy having someone who gets the guests for me. And then we arrange, you know, a time that works for both of us. And the other thing that's good for me is that it's, it's not actually on a set schedule, which probably is not necessarily the best for the listener but um, it's best for my schedule and it makes, you know, the show is kind of like whenever um, both I and the guest are available. So it might be on, on a Saturday night like yours or it might be on a Wednesday afternoon. And it's pretty interesting the amount of people that actually show up on a weekday afternoon. It's pretty cool. I haven't noticed a specific day that is not any good. Um, so <laughs> I didn't expect that. I, I was expecting to find that it was difficult. Um, but I surprisingly didn't. So anyway, um, I do enjoy being able to focus more on like researching my guests, uh, rather than finding the guests <laughs> instead I, I have the guests handed to me and I do all the research myself and develop the questions and get the word out and things like that. So what do you do when it comes to researching a guest? You get, you get a name. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? So it depends on the guest a lot. Most of the time I'm researching them as an author. I'm not necessarily, we're not necessarily, we'll talk a little bit about their book, but it, the focus is not necessarily their book. It's more their career as an author. So it's more like their writing and um, how they got started and things like that. And it really depends on the author because in some cases it's not going to be interesting to ask, how did you get started? And in other cases, it's going to be super interesting to ask. So I'm really looking into, first of all, I'm looking through their, their work, you know, trying to get a feel for their style. Um, and I'm seeing like how many books they've published and kind of getting a feel for their publication schedule. I'm looking at their website. I'm looking at their biography. And then I'm also looking for any news articles or blog posts that I can find where I can sort of pick out tiny details of something that maybe they didn't go into great depth on that I could bring out for um, their fans who might be interested in coming and sort of, you know, expand on a topic that maybe they've touched on, but I haven't gotten the chance to go into depth on that kind of stuff and, you know, talking about their careers. So I'm trying to pull out like tinier details and expand on them. And I really enjoy that because I like to catch people off guard if I can with something unusual that they're like, oh, well, it's great that we get to talk about this because I've never had the chance before. And so that's kind of like where my goal usually is. So I'll ask some questions that I know their readers will want to know. And then I'll ask other ones that are like, out of, out of left field, hopefully. <laughs> you never know what's not actually out of left field, but I'm aiming for left field anyway. I'm glad she didn't get to any of her questions at this point. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. 
because I have a checkered past. Lord, Lord, freaking knows. <laughs> well, I did get in my question about the Mary Tyler Moore joke for Kim, but you know. yeah, yes, you did. I give you that. Yep. <laughs> I mean, sure, realize, I got that one in there for you. <laughs> but that running gag was only three weeks old. I know. If you go back, that didn't exist in, uh, a month ago. I um, be, be, because uh, about seventy-five to eighty percent of of uh, of what we do is ad-libbed anyway. So <laughs> that's what I found out. I thought that I was going to get this like in-depth answer about some secret that Cameron had, but that was not the case. <laughs> it's yeah. Okay, it's nice there. It's it's a joke, and that's, that. That's pretty much all there is to it. That's what you think, Dome. It's a joke. Right, wink, wink. Well, if they believe it, then that's fine. If they don't, hey, that's fine, too. Um, <laughs> I find it interesting, Ms. Stratos, if in fact that is your real name, <laughs> that, that you're actually doing three, three things kind of full time. Even though you've taken one and put it on hiatus for the moment, you 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 are doing a full time editing job, mm -hmm. uh, which is is a difficult, precise job uh, that requires uh, a skill set that uh, I will never have. Uh, not being able to remember my own name on a daily basis, <laughs> much less anybody else's. Uh, you, you're you're hosting this podcast. Which requires you to do something that most people won't do, which is actually listen. Uh, <laughs> and and number, number three, uh, you, you're a fairly adept writer as well. And you've written a couple of short stories, a bunch of short stories, actually, and a couple of novellas. And uh, we were lucky enough to uh, procure a copy of your latest, The uh, Brotherhood of Secrets. And uh, it's an interesting little uh, uh, tap dance in London in the 1800s. And uh, I wanted to talk about that for a little bit, if, if it's okay with you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that is from, that's my second book. It's the one in the, they're both in the Dark Victoriana collection. Book one is Anatomy of a Darkened Heart. And the second one, like you mentioned, is Brotherhood of Secrets. And it is, it is um, 1800s America, um, just to say, but everyone assumes everything is in England, of course, because that's the most popular place for any Victorian story to take uh, place. In. But I also don't give a location. And the reason I'll tell you is because um, for my first two books, and maybe even the next few, um, there are so many limitations in terms of Victorian America and um, what kinds of supplies, what kinds of... Um, you know, things like the post office and how often the postman might come, the mailman might come um, to an area in America and Victorian era. Um, it can differ greatly depending on like the state, the location, things like that. And I really didn't want to deal with those details because they weren't the point. And so it's kind of like any town USA type of thing where it's it's America, but I'm not saying where it is because it's really besides the point and because the research for that would be unnecessarily ridiculous and actually change some details uh, that I would no longer be able to include um, and make it not as much uh, what the story that I want to write. 
Um, so that's part of why there's no town. What what made you choose uh, the 1850s as a time frame for a book that is suspense, mystery, gothic horror? Where did you? Where does that come from within you? For the Victorian era, I I really started getting an interest a long, long time ago. Um, I always say, you know, I always talk about how my mom used to take me to auctions. We'd go to these different auctions and she would explain things like morning jewelry to me um, and, you know, various things about the Victorian era. We would find all kinds of really cool stuff, daguerreotypes and things like that. And she would start explaining to me what they were. And I found it really interesting. So that's kind of like the very basis for, you know, where I became interested in the Victorian era in general. So when I started writing my first book, Anatomy of a Darkened Heart, um, I kept just imagining this, this girl in the Victorian era. Um, and there wasn't necessarily a reason at first. It just was what was coming to me. And, you know, I, I love, I love period dramas that are in the Victorian era. So, um, you know, that was probably part of it. It was all in my subconscious, I'm sure. And um, so when I started to, you know, dream up this book, when this character started coming to me, um, because my books are character based, it's really all about the character development. Um, you know, she, this character was coming to me, Abigail was coming to me as a Victorian woman. So um, that's how I started it. And I started just sort of writing in that era and I started doing more research into it. And I really, really, really got into it and started loving it. So, you know, I wasn't tied to it at first, but the more I was sort of writing my first draft, the more I was like, yeah, this is it. The Victorian era is where I want to, um, where I want to write, at least, you know, for this series, I do have lots of short stories that are contemporary, um, and, you know, totally different time periods, but for my novels, I was really enjoying it. And part of it is the research. I do love doing the historical research, which sure can take a lot of time. It can be very time consuming, but honestly, even the research rabbit holes are a lot of fun. I discover so many things that I, I just never knew, um, you know, advancements that I had no idea happened then or, or things that I thought they had that they simply didn't. And I also really, really wanted to dig into sort of the darker aspects of a time period like that. So whereas in, in so many, um, you know, period dramas, we see the beauty. I really wanted to delve into a darker aspect, specifically delving into the, the psychology that existed back then. You know, there, there are so many things that are dark, like even things like um, mental health issues and asylums and things like that, that um, are just a totally different story back then. Um, there's a lot of great information that can be weaved into a story in such a fascinating way. And I also love that crime is not as easy to solve, you know, like it, nowadays we have a lot of technology and it can be tough for a writer to find their way around that to have a really great crime take place. But back in the Victorian era, you know, it took a lot of detective skills for them to figure out how a crime was committed and who committed it. It was much easier to get away with, which meant the detective skills had to be really, you know, hardcore. So I do enjoy that aspect. There are just, you know, I could go on and on. Like, there are just so many aspects that I really enjoy writing about. Well, the other thing, too, is that <clears throat> set in the 1850s, the way you have, <clears throat> the whole idea of what's criminal then as opposed to what's criminal now is very different. So the way the, the, the way 
the characters look at what occurs and what occurs around them and what they do to influence what occurs around them um, comes at it from a whole very different viewpoint. What I found really interesting is that there's an, uh, I don't know if there's an amorality to the, these characters uh, as much as a morality that is fluid in that, that attaches them to each other out of a necessity of the time rather than a real morality. Exactly right. Yeah. No, you nailed it. You nailed it. It is a very fluid morality that has to do with their circumstances in life, their backgrounds. Um, you know, we have uh, men chosen to work at a locksmith shop on purpose, uh, deliberately because they lack families and um, they have major problems. They have emotional issues. Um, there's a lot to their psychology that makes them in need of a family and very alone in the world. And part, and that's extremely important to the story. I sort of start out the book with this um, list of the people that Mr. Locke, who is the locksmith shop owner, his, um, his list of employees that he has interviewed and talked to and maybe employed for a short time, trying to see if they are someone he wants to hire. And I wanted to start it out that way because I didn't want to go on and on and on with um, all kinds of scenes that really wouldn't add up to a whole lot of anything, um, you know, trying to show the employees that Mr. Locke is interested in. And so I decided to do it in a different way and have this list and it's his list of these employees and why they don't work out or why they do work out, trying to make it very clear to readers that we're looking at someone who's really not necessarily looking for the best employees, but looking for the best people to pick on for a particular reason. And so you're right that their morality is very fluid because what's most important to them is that they have some kind of a family. And unfortunately, they've fallen into the hands of a very manipulative man who has his own purpose and his own ideas of what morality is. And, you know, the idea of having um, these big gray areas also of what's okay, what's acceptable, and what's not, um, is is another thing that I love writing about. Um, so I'm actually I'm so glad that you mentioned that. It's a great talking point. There's there's also a really 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 nice analogous form between Mr. Locke and Dickens Fagin in a lot of ways. Uh, although Fagin is a lot. Um, more streetwise and and Locke is a lot more uh upper class in some respects um there there's an awful lot of intersection of those characters and i'm wondering i'm wondering where that character that Locke character comes from and how he developed yeah, that, well, thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah, he actually is one of the inspiration points for me was um, in Downton Abbey. I don't know if you've watched the show or if you're not so much into that, but I'm Downton... unfortunately subjected to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in Downton Abbey, uh, my favorite season will always be season one. I think it was the best season personally. Um, 
<clears throat> and I know that that's definitely subjective, of course, but for me, the, the first season was the best one. And the reason is heavily that my favorite character is Thomas Barrow. He is, um, he is just the worst villain. And for me, what intrigued me most about him is that he is totally unflappable. Nothing bothers him. Um, you know, he's, he's just nasty because his life is, you know, really negative and really bad. We find out why in later seasons, um, why he's so resentful of just everyone around him. Um, but in the first season, the focus is very heavily how nobody can really affect him. He has absolutely no scruples whatsoever. Um, you know, there's a scene in that first season where one character gets so angry and frustrated with the things he's putting other people through that, you know, um, that character, you know, slams him up against the wall and is sort of threatening him. And it just makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. You know, he just goes on about his life. He's unaffected. He doesn't care. It really doesn't matter. So that aspect of being an unflappable villain that nobody can really impact was something I loved and wanted to include in one of my uh, characters. So I don't really have, like, typically I don't have, like, um, you know, necessarily characters who are 100% good people. In in this book, I do have um, a couple of characters who are really decent people. Um, but generally I like for that to be fluid as well and it to be a big gray spot. So I really wanted to take the idea of someone who is just seemingly unstoppable nothing's going to get in his way and nothing is really going to sway him to change no matter what happens. I wanted to take that aspect and put that into um, one of my very gray area characters um, that you'd probably call a villain. And Mr. Locke was the perfect one. Um, all of the other characters do have things that affect them, that upset them, that will change the way they act um, and that will alter their decisions. But Mr. Locke is really set, and that's that. And really, there is nothing you can do. <laughs> and that's just how it's going to be. He's always going to get his way, um, no matter what it takes or who has to suffer for it. And I really wanted to have that unbeatable villain in there. Um. Yeah, well, you got a ton of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll, throw, I'll, throw, I'll throw Jude under the bus for that one. Jude just absolutely fascinates me. Because he's, it's, he's, he of all, it's, he's the one that starts out at first, because I don't want to give away too much comes later, but he's the mm -hmm. one that at first really clings to Locke. It really just goes, you know, oh yes, here's the person that can guide me. Here's the person that can lead me. I need this person, you know, and he just, and that, that need just quickly, very quickly dissolves into obsession and I just love the way that that character continues to just slowly devolve into obsession. And like you said, Locke is so unflappable every time some of the, the, the less polished parts, and I'm being nice there, about Jude come out to play, Locke isn't bothered at all. He isn't ruffled. In fact, it's like watching a master chess maker go, chess player go, yeah, now I'm going to move you right over here to make sure you do exactly what I need you to do. And it's just so interesting to watch the interplay between those two characters. Thank you so much, Cameron. That That is perfect. And that's exactly what I wanted you to get the impression of. And I'm really, really glad that you enjoyed him. He has actually turned out to be a fan favorite. Um, everyone who reads the book seems to love Jude, which is great because he's my favorite too, actually. Oh, excellent. He's my, 
He's my favorite character that I've ever written um, in all my life. And I've been writing for literally ever, like ever since I could. Um, so, you know, he is, he is literally my favorite character I've ever developed. I'm not sure I'll ever develop a character I'll like more than him. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, he, he does devolve quickly into obsession and, um, there's so much of his background that is a part of that. And we see like glimpses again. I didn't want to drag this into some kind of very long thing where we're seeing too much, um, and it becomes sort of off topic or the focus is just Jude or something. There's a lot of him in there. Um, he's crucial, of course, character. Um, and he is the first one who's just desperate to impress um, Mr. Locke. He, he is so desperate for someone to justify who he is and how he behaves and to, you know, give him some way to take out his anger and his pain, you know, that he developed during his childhood, which again, again, is really, we only see so much of it, but it's, it's more of, you know, a bit of a hint and a conversation. Um, and some of the things that he says that we can see that he was definitely badly abused as a child. And that has really, he's never been able to find his place. Um, he's really not socially accepted, nothing like that. He's, I mean, you could say he's his own person, but not in a good way necessarily. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I really, uh, I so enjoyed writing him to the degree that I would just write section after section after section that was him. And at some point I was like, okay, I have to put other characters in. When am I going to write these other characters? You know, you just get swept away in, in writing that kind of thing. For me, what makes Jude fascinating more than anything else is that I at some point thought he would be redeemable. Mm-hmm. And, and I was wrong. <laughs> Actually, I had a completely different direction. I thought Jude was going in, and you still surprised me. And I won't yeah. tell what that direction was because I still I don't want to give away. I want people to read and have fun with Jude. But I expected a completely different direction for Jude, and so it was it was interesting where Jude did end up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know. I, I got to tell you, you, you're a very talented lady in a number of different pursuits. Clearly, you do very well uh, in in your editing business. Clearly, you're doing a, a wonderful job uh, with your Writers Showcase podcast because we had a hell of a time. And... Uh, Brotherhood of Secrets is uh, just a fun piece of work that uh, we enjoyed writing, reading, and 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 we hope that our listeners will too. Thank and you so I much. Can't, no, thank you for coming in, and thank you for putting up with our silliness <laughs> for almost an hour, and and coming back for more to put up with ours again. We have been talking with the inimitable. Christy Stratos, who is taking Writer Showcase podcast on hiatus for a couple of months so she can finish up her next writing project. We will send you the links to where you can find it. We will send you the Amazon links to where you can find her books. Between now and then, take the time to read someone you haven't read, listen to someone you haven't heard because they're fun. Christy, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me on. I had a great time. 
Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying... Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus, do we all refute entropy? Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. There once was a girl from Nantucket. Good night, everybody. Hey.